Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to Mark, the 15th chapter, verses 33 through 37. Hear these words. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he's calling out for Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine to put a stick, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to remain seated as we sing together hymn number 292, What Wondrous Love Is This?
us, once again, we saw what Palm Sunday looks like around Central, right here in the front yard, and we had our parade down to Pritchard Park. It was a good morning. It was, it was beautiful, and luckily not raining. A little chilly, but not raining. You know, it reminded me um, of the question, what was it like that first, that first Palm Sunday? So in, on that first Palm Sunday, that first Palm donkey walk, that first palm processional, you got to remember that Jerusalem was a place where folks were gathering for the Passover. And the thing that I imagine most, Rob, are the people, just the, the throngs of folks that are pilgrimaging to Jerusalem. And then, then all of a sudden, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, starts coming in one of the gates, and um, this impromptu ticker tape parade starts to happen. And folks uh, start putting palm branches down and folks start taking their cloaks off. And, and, and there's somewhat of, a, of an excitement, somewhat of a hopefulness. Uh, maybe this guy will be the king that overthrows the Romans. Maybe there will be something about him that's um, something that's been hoped for. Uh, but he doesn't come. He, he didn't come on like a steed or with chariots. What does he come on? It's a... Bandy-legged little beast. And, yeah. I love that phrase, a bandy-legged... Poor man red carpet treatment is what Jesus was getting. And, and folks are gathered, and that's what happens. And, yeah. and it doesn't happen planned. It doesn't happen... Um, no bulletins. No, no, no bulletins. There, there weren't songs there were, that were practiced. There were folks that just simply got caught up in the moment in, the, in what is Christ. And that's... That's the processional that I, that I think about, the people all gathered there, and, and then all of a sudden. And you know what you're describing there, Luke, is a festive parade, and I think it must have been. But I think those of us who are gathered here today, we also think of the other side of Palm Sunday. It has a little bit of a solemn mood yeah. to it. And I'm thinking that that crowd there on that day wasn't just a festival parade. Um, it was the beginning of a funeral procession. I'm not sure they knew that. Yeah. Well, Jesus, Jesus talked about it. Well, and there's another procession that's happening on the other side, or, or we imagine could be happening on the other side of Jerusalem. Yeah. So here's Jesus coming from Jericho. Some of you have been to the Holy Land, and Jericho is right the last stop before you get out into the desert area. Coming uphill, one of those beautiful sights coming up from Jericho when you come around the bend, and there's the Holy City. There's another processional and it's coming from Caesarea Philippi you know who that is it's Herod he's got to come to town because this is a high and holy day and he's not coming on the bandy leg no he didn't have a donkey he's got beasts of burden he's got, he got horses chariots and, chariots and trumpets and uh, soldiers with spears and swords held high so just picture the scene we have two processions Caesarea Philippi Herod here from Jericho comes Jesus and by the end of the week these two processions are going to collide. It's going to be like a train wreck. And Jesus is going to come out on the bad side of it. It's almost like they come from each side of Jerusalem and then join together yeah. for the funeral processional. That becomes the end of the week. How many Palm Sundays have some of you observed a lot? I'm looking out there at a crowd, a lot of people my age, and um, you're saying you, you've been down this road. Do you ever come here on Palm Sunday and you just want to pretend you want to hope against hope that this time uh, you know everybody 
during that week is going to recognize Jesus for who he was. Not just that little band of followers, but the Sanhedrin and the Pharisee. And maybe this time what happened won't have to happen. Maybe Judas is going to be loyal and Peter is going to be brave and uh, Caiaphas is going to be just and uh, Pilate's going to be worshipful, but that's not going to happen. You've heard us do the questions Jesus asked through this Lenten season. And most of those came from Jesus when he was up there in Galilee. And when Jesus started being noticed there, people couldn't get enough of him. He was food for the hungry. He was medicine for those who were sick with business as usual. Here was all this promise and possibility of this movement. And Luke, it's hard to believe that in a few hours, in a few days, all that just crumbles does and it, and it crumbles into the face of um, you know Jesus hanging on a on a Roman giblet Jesus hanging with his arms wide and and him uh, crying out uh, our question for today it's our last question during Lent it's the hardest one I think for us to hear of all Jesus questions I'm sure it was the hardest one for Jesus to utter um, my God my God, why have you forsaken me from the cross? Last night, one of our uh, regular attendees at Saturday night service said, why do we have to have two of you preaching this week? <laughs> <laughs> and I had an easy answer. I said, because this scripture, it, it required more than one. <laughs> we need we needed a little help because this is a very challenging scripture. It's talking about the silence of God, the absence of God, and do you th this is not the first time that it ever comes up in Scripture. No, I mean this is a theme throughout throughout Scripture, throughout human experience with God, and and one of the things that we know about that is because of what Jesus says. Mm -hmm. And uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is actually the first line of Psalm 22. Many of you probably knew that. Um, but as a Jewish rabbi and as a Jew, Jesus would have known as, as someone that had studied the scripture and heard the scriptures orally, uh, the way that our Jewish uh, brethren learned scripture, the, the Psalms in that day, was by learning the first line that would remind you and help you remember the rest of the Psalm. So when Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a real question. But it also is a reminder that he stands on the shoulders of folks that have for centuries asked that question. There's, that's not the only place in Scripture. Yet. No, and that's, uh, that's one thing we ought to feel uh, really blessed by, to have Scriptures that are so honest about the range of human emotions in our relationship with each other and with God. And mm -hmm. there's Isaiah saying, Verily, verily, yeah. why are you a God that hides oneself? Um, one of my heroes of faith, not a scriptural writer, but a great writer, C.S. Lewis. You've heard that name? Wrote Mere Christianity, Narnian, among others. Yeah. So he lost his wife to cancer, Joy Davidman. And he talked about his grief. And he asked a question in the middle of one of his hardest days. He says, where is God? And he said, what I found, at least in that moment, that in my moment of most desperate need, um, the only thing I found was a slam door, the sound of bolting, double bolting from the inside. He said, yes, later in life, I could reflect and know that God had been present there. But at that moment, silence. It was like the deafening silence for him.
I think that's so as we've struggled through and worked through this this week I think that was one of the the things that became apparent and also difficult was not only the question my God my God why have you forsaken me but also uh, the response uh, which we began to talk about as the silence of God I, I will say from my own experience sometimes it's probably not so much that God has been totally silent but when God speaks I think most of us would say it's not a shout, it's a whisper, and it's heard by those who can lean forward and are willing to lean forward. Now, once faith hears it, faith shouts it, but first to the hearer, it's often a whisper. And I wonder if in that restraint, that's merciful, that God doesn't overwhelm the human spirit or heart and leaves us room to say, I didn't hear anything, <laughs> to say no. So when we say yes, you know, it's our yes. And I think that's absolutely true. I mean, we, we read in scripture about God speaking in this still small voice. We, we hear about God speaking in community so that we, because we need each other to hear God. I also think uh, in this particular scripture, in this particular passage, as we see where Jesus is and what Jesus says, um, there is a feeling of abandonment. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus uses the word forsaken, a very purposeful word. And and it's not like Jesus didn't know how to talk to, didn't know how to lean forward, didn't know how to talk to yeah. uh, his father. And, and in that moment, in that silence, in that def, the term deafening silence, um, Jesus does feel abandoned. He feels alone. So why don't we as a worshiping group this morning just live for a few moments into why Jesus might have felt so lonely. The desertion, I think, started earlier in the week. Yeah. Remember, he went out there in the Garden of Gethsemane and he took some of his best friends and he said, look, I'm going to be praying. All I ask of you is just to be here and please stay awake. <laughs> and remember, he comes back and they've all fallen asleep. Well, and there's a question there we could have talked about this, this morning in, in the Garden. Remember, uh, Jesus asked, uh, God, if there be any other way, please let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way for this to happen than the cross, is there another way? Uh, one of my my favorite uh, theologian is a guy named Peter Rollins, who Annie and I love. Uh, his kind of tagline, he says, to believe is human, uh, to doubt is divine. Uh, in one of your earlier sermons in Lent, Rob, you said that um, doubt is not the enemy of faith, fear is the enemy of faith. And, and I think in that moment where, where Jesus cries out in our question today and where Jesus asks that there's another way, we see uh, potentially a moment of doubt. And in that moment of of abandonment and silence and doubt, we see the humanity and the divinity of Jesus come in full focus. We see that, that Jesus has the, is willing to enter into the fullness of the human experience yeah. uh, and experience both those things with us. So here we have the beginning of loneliness there in the garden and then at the cross, think who wasn't there. Yeah. All these people whose lives had crisscrossed with Jesus' lives, as far as we know from Scripture, um, the two Marys were there. John, disciple. We don't hear about Nicodemus. Where's Zacchaeus? Where's Peter? And then there's the taunts and the derision where his, the folks that are looking at this are hurling his own words back at yeah, him like you're stones. The, you're the king of the Jews. Why don't you call to God and get yourself down now? They're casting lots for his, his clothes. And there's the... the inscription above his head and they put the crown of thorns on his head to to mock him and make fun of him he is alone yeah. he's alone then there is the uh agony 
the physical agony of crucifixion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, so in crucifixion, the way that someone that's, and this is, this is difficult to hear, the, the, the way a person um, dies on a cross is typically from suffoc suffocation. You're there by yourself, you're all by yourself, and um, you can't breathe, and you're all alone. And that's when he cries out. I mean, that's, that's where he is. And I don't think that experience is uh, one that we're alien to. I would imagine most of us here have had moments where we would have liked a little more of a word from God than maybe we're mm -hmm. going to receive. Yeah. Um, one of the ways we've described this, have you ever seen one of those, like, uh, um, time-lapse videos and there's someone sitting in the time-lapse video and there's everything else going on around them and you're sitting there and that person looks like they're all by themselves and I think we've all had had moments like that where we're alone and um, one that I that I've had I mean I've had several and I'm sure you all have had several but one I'd, I'd share this morning is in October of 2013 we lost a child as many of you know and um, in that moment was a, a moment of crying out to God it was a moment of God, what in the world? Why, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken uh, my child? And we had lots of support. I mean, I mean, Rob and Julie and, and others from the church and family were there with us. But in that moment, um, there was silence. I mean, um, they call uh, stillborn children the silent child. Uh, in that moment where we so wanted to hear a word uh, from God, we, we felt alone. Um, we felt silent. And I know that but many of you have experienced um, difficulties and you know what it feels like in that moment of difficulty, in that moment of tragedy, the moment of loss, to feel that silence. What about you, Rob? I know you were share experience. Um, when my mother was in her early 50s, she had to deal with a brain tumor and the two operations and um, she eventually died from that cancer. Um, I had gone to be with her for a few days. My dad was out of town and we went to see the specialist and over Duke and she had worked so hard on these exercises, a speech therapist, physical therapist, and she wanted to demonstrate before me yeah. that she was perhaps in remission, that she was getting better. And we got there and there were these series of um, tests and responses and you could just feel it. It was palpable that it wasn't going well and the specialist leaves the room she can't say anything, and I can't say anything. It was one of those moments you wanted to hear a word from somewhere, someone else. I remember Meister Eckhart saying, God is like the person who clears his throat while hiding, so to give himself away. And I wanted to hear at least God clear his throat. Yeah. And at that moment, it was, um, there was just silence. Our experiences as folks where we have these moments where we cry out, um, like Jesus cried out, um, I think demonstrate to us just the, the immense willingness of God to enter into the entirety of our human experience. Um, even Christ cried out in the way that we cry out. Um, what do we do for each other? I mean, when we're in these kind of moments and... How do we be little Christ to each other? Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's fairly ironic that um, in this feeling of abandonment, we want to hear a, a, a word from God. But sometimes I think uh, our most appropriate response as folks is silence. <laughs> you said earlier that the silence of God is sometimes merciful, that we, 
if we could hear the voice of God, it would almost be overwhelming. And I think that in moments where we are journeying and walking alongside folks that are in these moments of crying out, uh, sometimes our best response is simply silence. Uh, recognizing that we may not have the, the right words to say or, or know exactly what to say, but that by sitting and being with each other, we are in fact being Christ. The other things are things that you all do kind of naturally as central folks. I mean, food and, <laughs> and somebody mowed our grass. I think maybe Hayes mowed our grass when, when Gwyneth passed away. And uh, it was just an amazing gift to have things that, that folks were just taking care of us. Oh. Um, I think another thing that I think of, Rob, is that um, the human experience is part of us, of our community. Uh, giving someone a hug, holding their hand, simply being with is such a gift. And then the last thing I would say is that, um, have, y'all, have y'all been to the hospital and had a pain test? Have y'all, has anybody done that where they do the like one to 10 thing? You, you, so you, you go in and like, what's your pain one to 10? And if you're like in the two to three range, it's okay. But once you get to 10 or nine, like once you get to that kind of nine or 10 range, nine or 10 pain is nine or 10 pain. A 10 is a 10 is a 10. And I think in our suffering as humans, sometimes we want to compare our suffering to each other. Oh, my, my suffering wasn't as bad as yours and yours is so much worse. No, if your 10's a 10, it's a 10. And that's okay. Hmm. And uh, I think recognizing that we can each be a, experience our own suffering and that the world and that God are big enough for both of those things to exist uh, is okay. I know this is Palm Sunday and you came in a festive mood. <laughs> yeah. And you'd like to have a little good news to take home with you. <laughs> it's been kind of serious a little bit today. And we're, we're going we're gonna to share the good news of this scripture. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I really mean this. I think the more I can lean and live into what I hear there in the cross actually is very good news. It has been for me personally, for me as a minister, when I do walk into a cancer ward, or to a bedside where there's great suffering, that these words have come from our Lord and Savior. Um, When I hear him and see him in that kind of state of loneliness and abandonment and expressing it, that shows me the depths that God will go in God's wild pursuit Mm. to completely identify with us. Rodin is this sculptor. He did that classic piece, The Thinker. You can all picture that, right? We've seen cheap versions of that in little gift shops and ceramic places, The Thinker. What I didn't know is that actually wasn't meant to be an isolated piece of sculpture. That was part of a much larger work. And some years ago, I saw it in the National Gallery in Washington. Up on this lintel, Rodin had the thinker. That's where the thinker was, his original work. But then down below was this great mass of sculpted humanity, suffering, agony, anguishing humans. And the sense you get from this, Rodin's interpretation, is that this is God, aloof, apart from who we are and where we are. What does it say in the book of Hebrews, we don't have a high priest who is unacquainted with our lives. Everything about the Jesus event is not Jesus dabbling in humanity, God dabbling humanity, but the full thing. Showing up in a stable in Bethlehem 
as a child, Jesus knowing what it was to skin the knee and have a fever. As a man, he knew what it was to wait on somebody else's table, to wash somebody else's feet, to weep at the grave of his friend Lazarus. And here we see him stretched out on a cross, crying out. And don't we know? Don't we know from that? There's no corner so dark, no crevice so removed that God will not inhabit that space with us. So I know some of you out here have probably had some moments in the last year where God felt absence. Where is God? I can't hear God. So I just want you to imagine, imagine Jesus there with pierced hands and perhaps he's not answering all the questions or solving all the dilemmas, but he's there in the thick of it and he understands. Listen, because he was so alone, we have his company. In our most hurt and our most forsakenness, we have the company of one who has been there and is there. I think there's good news. Yeah. I really think there's I good think news. so. And the good news for me in this is that, you know, silence doesn't necessarily mean lack of presence. Hmm. And I think one of the ways that God chooses to be present with us in these moments of suffering, these moments where we cry out is through each other and us being our hands and feet, uh, the hands and feet of God in the world. Well, this wouldn't be one of our discussions if I didn't bring something up about Duke. Um, <laughs> this wasn't in our plans. This <laughs> wasn't in the outline. <laughs> it's not going to be about the Elite Eight or anything like that. Um, but... Um, there's an associate professor at, at the Divinity School at Duke right now, and her name is Kate Bowler. Uh, Kate is 35. She's an associate professor of American Christianity. And about two years ago, a year and a half, two years ago, she contracted, or she was diagnosed, I mean, with uh, stage four colon cancer. Uh, she was 33, uh, had a one-year-old son, uh, had just gotten her dream job at her alma mater, and um, was given uh, a pretty grim diagnosis. Genetically, she happens to be a person that uh, was able to get into a study at Emory. So I'm also mentioning Emory, um, an amazing study at Emory. And she currently uh, is, is still in the process of, of receiving treatments there. She uh, ended up surviving and is, and is still uh, battling. But in the meantime, has written a book about her experience uh, with cancer, uh, her, her moment of, of screaming out to God, my God, my God. And one of the things she does in her book is she talks about some of her experiences down in Emory at this cancer trial. And she describes a, a moment um, in, in her experience. And she's down there at Emory and she's down there for, for a very specific type of chemo. And she gets to observe other folks that are there uh, for their treatments. And she observes this teenage young man. And I don't remember what kind of, she didn't say what kind of cancer he had, but what the kind of cancer that he had caused her to be fluid on his lungs. And he had a hard time talking, a hard time breathing. And he was really trying to convince his doctor to please remove the fluid from his lungs and, and something to do with the type of cancer he had and the type of procedure for him specifically. In order to bring the fluid off his lungs, it was kind of risky and his doctor really didn't want to do it. Uh, but he finally convinced his doctor to please do it. And, and when he did, when the fluid was released from his lungs and he had full capacity to, to talk or to do whatever he wanted to say, he began to cry. And he began to cry out. And I think one of the things that this teaches us is that this cry out of Christ is essential hmm. to who we are as people. 
It is part of what makes us the most like God and the most like Christ. That in those moments, even though sometimes we don't hear a word back from God, we are still becoming more like God. Hmm. So we've had this, uh, um, it's a big question this week, and we've had this passage um, that we've not shared yet that from Barbara Brown Taylor that's kind of guided our, our thoughts and our work, and, and I'd like to close with that. So, so hear these words as sort of a benediction and sort of a, a closing prayer to our, our talk today uh, from Barbara Brown Taylor. It sounds for all the world like the end of faith. Instead, it is the beginning. This Jesus died talking to his Abba, who would not talk back to him. Is there any other definition of faith? In his suffering, he is the comfort for those who have no comfort. In his abandonment, he is the God of those who have no God. Hearing no voice of love, he cried out, making a sound that for many became the voice of love. Amen. Amen.